It's been almost a week since the Taliban took over Kabul. The first two days, everything was shot. The streets were empty. There was Taliban everywhere. That's Ali Latifi, Al Jazeera Digital's correspondent on the streets of the Afghan capital. He says people are coming out again. The streets are full of cars and people. And you would need people having conversations with the Taliban to greet them, take pictures and selfies. He says many Afghans are curious about what this new version of Taliban leadership will bring. But a lot are nervous, too. There's a lot of just everyone checking how far things will go. And some people are desperately trying to find a way out. Please check if, if we can get out from the country as soon as possible. I, I really afraid of We are under attack. There is a big, big mob. They are attacking us and they are armed. Maybe there are some Taliban fighters among them. How will the Taliban rule Afghanistan this time? Is this a kinder, gentler Taliban? Or is this the end of women's rights and the beginning of public executions? Again, I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. These are some other things Ali has seen change in the past week, just walking to the bureau and back. It's not to say that, you know, there were millions of women on the streets of Kabul before, but there was a very large amount. But now Kabul is essentially 90% men. And the other day, on the way to work, he got on the phone with his dad. I had my phone out in the middle of the city, in the busiest part of the city. And I was talking to my dad the entire way. It's about a 20-minute walk, he says. And days ago, I could have never done that. My phone would have been stolen for sure. That's the kind of stuff that the Taliban promised in 96, and that's the kind of stuff they're trying to promise now. It's also the hope that suicide bombings will end. There is no doubt, he says, the Taliban are in control. Seeing them driving these Humvees and these police rangers that say intelligence and Afghan local police, all of these forces that hunted them down for years, and now they're driving their cars around with their white flag. It's all very surreal. But how will they run a government? Ali says that remains to be seen. You know, there's very few government offices have opened back up. There's nobody currently there. So if they're not in the government offices forming a government, where are these meetings being held? It's been a horde of meetings between Afghan government officials and Taliban guys and uh, Qatari government guys. For the past week, while many of us have been glued to the news of the Taliban taking back Afghanistan, my colleague Osama bin Javid was meeting officials from all sides as they would enter and leave the rooms where the deal was signed in Doha, Qatar. My name is Osama bin Javid. I am a correspondent for Al Jazeera English. I cover conflict areas and conflict zones. I've been closely monitoring, watching and reporting from what has been happening in Afghanistan. Remind us how long you've been covering Afghanistan and the Taliban and what looks to be the former Afghan government now. It's been just over two decades since I started journalism in Pakistan. There was a lot of international interest 
in the story that was happening in Afghanistan. My first interactions with the Taliban were with some of their recruiters that I was interviewing for an article. And I remember some gun-toting guys who actually tried to recruit the journalists who would speak to them and say they should be part of the jihad that they're waging. Over the border in Afghanistan, the Mujahideen had been recruiting fighters for more than a decade already. In 1979, the then-Soviet Union invaded the country, which led to a long and bloody fight. Afghan guerrillas called the Mujahideen fought a Soviet occupation for nine years. They even got money and weapons from the CIA. It was still the Cold War, and the U.S. was also trying to hold the Soviets back. In 1989, the Soviet army withdrew. By 1992, there was a full-blown civil war with tribal leaders fighting for power. And that's when word spread about the Taliban. Osama, our colleague, was already tracking the group then. Can you tell me more about that time? What was that like? That was a Taliban made of very simple madrasa students. Madrasas are religious schools in this part of the world. People go there and they have a religious learning and they graduate after a few years. These were students who had very little knowledge of world affairs. These students did not know how to carry themselves. They knew that they need to go into Afghanistan and establish a system which is not corrupt and is based on their version of Sharia law. And that was it. It was a very narrow-minded approach. And that resulted in a lot of actions that you saw on the ground. Commanders banned women from working, girls from going to school. They were like, you can't watch movies, you can't listen to music, you have to wear a certain type of clothes, you have to have a certain kind of beard. And the main attraction at a sports arena is an execution, complete with refreshments for the spectators. Those Taliban were very simple, very focused, with a very narrow agenda. And when you speak to the leaders of the Taliban, they would try to distance themselves. They would say that it was a local commander's policy to flog women. It was a local commander in a district who was telling people to grow long beards. There were local commanders who were shutting down schools. And Taliban leaders would tell you that their daughters go to schools. These Taliban seem to have learned from the past mistakes, all the criticism that's come their way. And at least for now, in front of cameras, they're willing to say that they have changed. The last time we heard from you was just over a month ago, mid-July, You were anticipating this moment that Afghanistan finds itself in right now, the Taliban running the country. You told us about what one of the Taliban leaders said to you right after they signed a peace deal in February of 2020 with then-U.S. President Donald Trump. Do you remember what you said? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, absolutely. This was an interaction with the Taliban leader very late at night. We were sitting in one of the five-star hotels here in Doha, sipping tea. It was a relaxed atmosphere, so the guy had taken off his headgear. And I said to him, do you remember this very old saying that the Taliban controls the night and the government controls the day? And uh, is that still the case? He laughed and he said, now we control the day and night. In that moment itself, we were very curious about this comment. Are these fighters overconfident? But since we've seen how Kabul fell in the last week, how they've completely taken over the country, more or less, without a real fight on the ground, I I think it was a revealing moment where probably we should have paid more attention and taken it more seriously. Were you surprised to see the Taliban take Kabul this week? I think the Taliban were surprised to take Kabul this week. The Taliban 
have the fighting momentum behind them, but nobody expected that they are going to be able to take the country in just over a week without real resistance to come in, open jails, release prisoners, and take over provincial centers. I think it, we were also surprised to see that the Taliban announced that they don't want to take Kabul by force. And then one source told me that they were asked actually by the Americans to come in and secure the streets of Kabul because the Afghan president had fled. Afghanistan's president, Ashraf Ghani, has gone. He's left the country. We saw some pretty horrific images come out of Kabul. Afghans hanging onto U.S. airplanes, flying out of the country, some falling to their death. What does it say about what the Afghan people are feeling? In two words, fear and desperation. That is what every Afghan I've spoken to feels. They did not expect that their government is going to run away. They did not expect the Taliban were waltzed into very fortified areas. They did not think that all of a sudden, not just the United States, but everything that they believed in would be gone and the Taliban would be in power. These are people who work with foreign forces. Many of them have worked in embassies as translators, as, as support staff, and they feel reprisals. Here are the take. We were sent voice memos from some of those Afghans hoping to escape. Just a warning, these are hard to listen to. I am an Afghan uh, interpreter of the U.S. Special Forces. I have worked for five years. Right now, I'm left behind. I'm really worried. I'm really scared. My wife was beaten by the Taliban at the gate to my kids, eight years, seven years, three years. They were all beaten by the Taliban. We really need an immediate evacuation from here. I really need to be taken out from the country. My family, we are all scared. We couldn't sleep tonight. I was guarding my family. I stood with Americans. Now it's their turn to stand with me. My life and my family lives, you know, they're in uh, the, the Taliban hand. If they, sh they find me, Believe me, they're, they're going to cut our heads off. And we received several like this. Why have the American soldiers forgetting about us after everything we did? <laughs> the sacrifices we made. Why are you leaving us behind? <laughs> I don't want to be killed by the Taliban. They're going to cut our heads off if... They find my location. <laughs> Please help. <laughs> it's crushing to hear their desperation, also knowing there are tens of thousands more Afghans like them, trying to leave, still hoping the U.S. has not left them behind. President Joe Biden says U.S. forces will stay in Kabul to get Americans out. For the Afghans, it's still not clear. The Taliban have said that there is an amnesty, but looking back at what the Taliban were 20 years ago and how they have been portrayed in their own local media and by their leaders as well, it is very difficult for an Afghan on the street to believe it until it really happens. And the Taliban themselves? Osama says these are not the same madrasa students he knew 20 years ago. I've seen a transformation of Taliban. The way they carry themselves, the way they measure their answers, 
the way they are openly talking about everything and not putting it squarely in the prism of religion it's been interesting to see that happen on tuesday august the 17th you saw for the first time the spokesman of the taliban this was the first press conference the taliban gave since taking kabul After 20 years of struggle, once again, we have emancipated our country and made it independent again. And we have expelled the foreigners. And uh, I would like to congratulate the whole nation. Zabiullah Mujahid revealing himself, taking questions, urging people to ask more questions. Everybody will have a chance to, to ask questions. The first question from one of our very own journalists. Charlotte Phyllis from Al Jazeera. A woman. The question is, what kind of guarantees can you provide for ensuring women's rights? Asking him about the rights of women. We are going to allow women to work and study. We have got frameworks, of course. The women are going to be very active in the society, but within the frameworks of Islam. In the days right after they took over Kabul, there were some really interesting things to see there. How they went into a women's hospital and urged nurses and doctors to carry on their work and told them that they are needed by the people of Afghanistan. How they were able to go and meet Hindus and Sikhs of Afghanistan and tell them that they should not have anything to fear. Obviously, words are easier than actions and we will see how much they follow up on their words. But it is a reminder to us that this is not the people who would carry their guns on top of mountains and would be very reluctant to speak to people. This is a Taliban which is savvy. It knows how to use the media. It knows the message that people want to hear. And it is different from what it was. But still, many Afghans are afraid. Afghans like legislator Farzana Kochai. As an MP, as a female, as a, someone who is coming from activism and human rights, women's rights, I, for sure I'm afraid of myself, my life, and my freedom to work and my freedom to speak up. Is there a danger that this is just PR? And that while the leadership might be saying one thing, the actual people on the ground are facing something different. We've heard reports of women being told to return from their places of work at gunpoint. Lawmakers who are fearful. Well, as a journalist who's worked in this region for 20 years, I can tell you that you've got to take all PR with a pinch of salt, whether it's the Afghan president saying that he is going to fight until the very end, or it is the U.S. government saying mission accomplished, or it is the Taliban saying that they are going to continue to respect the right of every Afghan. It is going to be the actions which matter. So how did the Taliban do it? How did they transition from these madrasa students to winning a 20-year war against the United States? Osama bin Javed has been following this closely the whole time. I think many of the analysts got the basic picture wrong. Afghanistan is one of the world's lowest populated areas in terms of urban population. Around 75% of the population lives in rural Afghanistan. And the Taliban were able to stay in rural Afghanistan. You have to remember that when the war against terror was happening, there was widespread abuse. We've heard accounts of how coalition soldiers were going into villages, executing people. We've heard the former President Karzai describe the night raids 
and unintended civilian casualties in airstrikes. So it was a very difficult time for rural Afghanistan. That is where the Taliban were shoring up support. That is where they were finding recruits from the people who were picking up dead bodies of civilians. And they were able to go into people's homes at night and ask for shelter. They were able to go to people's homes and ask for food. And they were also able to tell people that this is a government which is speaking on behest of a foreign occupation. Where were they getting funds from? Were they getting international support? I think Afghanistan has been the playground for foreign forces for a very long time. There's been a lot that has been said about the support that the Taliban were getting from Pakistan, from Iran, from Central Asian states, how they were running rings of opium production, how they were able to make money out of toll taxes and taxing the locals. But now the Taliban are in charge. The sources of revenue for the Afghan government are now in their hands. This Afghan MP told me something very interesting that if a truck filled with goods and supplies is coming from a Central Asian state, the Taliban will charge it a fee. And that fee would be valid for all of the Afghan provinces, whereas previously, that particular truck would have to pay a toll and have to pay a tax and have to bribe officials at every single crossing point. So now the Taliban have the potential to build on that, to rid Afghanistan of corruption. Are they going to be able to do it? I think that is the million-dollar question. Interestingly. Zibiullah at the press conference on Tuesday said there will be zero production of narcotics in Afghanistan. And there have been multiple reports in the past about how the Taliban has taxed poppy production in the country for a profit. I think it was either 2000 or 2001 when the poppy production dropped. That was the year that the Taliban were in charge. Even when they were making money, the Taliban insisted, and I asked them multiple times, that how do you reconcile that you're making money uh, from making Afghans dependent on drugs and, and drug addicts? And there has been an edict which the Taliban, in their own logic, would say that as long as the drugs are being sold outside of Afghanistan and they don't have any other revenues and they are at war, they're able to carry on taxing that opium production. Zabiullah Mujahid in his press conference said that Taliban are going to stop the cultivation of all opium. Afghanistan is no longer going to be a narcotic state. Are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be able to provide people with alternative crops with which they can make money and earn a living? That is going to be the test. The United States says it will not continue to support Afghanistan financially with the Taliban in charge. And then there's the question of who in the Taliban will be running the country. Will it be the fighters who overran the provinces or the leadership who led the negotiations from Doha? That's a group Osama knows well. I was there when the Taliban office was opened We were the ones who filmed the flag uh, of the Islamic Emirate going up, their political refuge. I was interacting with them in these posh hotels, and I remember having an interaction with another leader of the Taliban who had said, it is quite convenient for you, isn't it, that you are here in five-star settings, driving luxury SUVs and living in your villas, whereas the Taliban on the ground are fighting the war for you. And this person was very offended, and he said, this leader of the Taliban was made a very interesting point that they have given people's lives for the cause of ridding Afghanistan of foreign occupation, and they are going to take up their weapons whenever uh, their leadership decides. Traditionally, Taliban's leadership has usually run things from a cloak of secrecy. 
Are you going to see Habibullah Akhundzada as the president of Afghanistan, or is he going to continue to run this from behind the scenes? Osama says he's also wondering if the Taliban leadership in Kabul will be able to keep control of the entire country. Taliban is a homogenous group of fighters from the south, uh, fighters from the north, and from the east and the west. Afghanistan is a very diverse place. How is the Taliban leadership going to make uh, that structure, which is so well disciplined that they can order people to do things and it gets done, once these fighters taste power, once they know that there are revenues coming into their respective provinces and militias, when they know that they have influence on the ground as well? And what happens to the former Afghan government officials, like Ashraf Ghani, who fled Afghanistan, and other Afghan leaders? Are you going to see roles for Abdullah Abdullah, Hamid Karzai? The Taliban have been very secretive about what their plan of governance is. All they want to do right now is assure the people that they're not going to go after them with their guns, and there is going to be security and stability under Taliban control. And that's the take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Ney Alvarez, Nagin Oliay, Dina Kispe, Priyanka Tilve, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our story editor is Tom Fenton. Our engagement producer is Aya El Milek, and Stacey Samuel is the executive producer of The Take. A special thanks to Jennifer Glass at Al Jazeera Digital. On the Al Jazeera website, you can find a history of the Taliban and learn about who's in charge. We'll also be linking to it on our social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at AJ The Take. We'll be back.